We are going to have a conversation with Semyon Dukash, Managing Partner at One Way Ventures. Semyon, welcome to the show. Thank you. So let's uh, introduce our audience to yourself as well as to One Way Ventures. So uh, One Way Ventures is a seed stage venture capital fund that backs uh, startups founded by the strongest immigrant entrepreneurs in the U.S. and Canada. And what is your background, Samuel? Oh, well, I, I was uh, myself an immigrant as a kid, a refugee actually from the Soviet Union, and I had a computer science background. I uh, did some work at Columbia at MIT uh, on, on internet protocols. And I also, as my first startup, I, I ran the MIT Blackjack team, which was the basis for the movie 21. Uh, many years later, and uh, that was my first fund as well. Uh, after that, I, I started an actual software company called Fast Engines, which grew in the 90s and was sold in early 2000. And for the last 20 years, I've been a full-time investor, most of the time as an angel. Uh, but then six years ago, I took on the Techstars Accelerator in Boston, which I ran for a few years. And uh, in 2017, I, I left Techstars to start One Day Ventures. Okay. And how big is One Way Ventures? As it, how big, what is the fund size? Our first fund was $28 million, and we are currently raising a larger second fund. Now, what stage do you like to invest in? Uh, we, uh, our sweet spot is the seed stage, so the, the institutional seed round of a couple of million dollars. But we do a little bit of pre-seed and uh, quite a few Series A's as well, uh, where uh, we're not going to lead a Series A round, but we, we participate when they're when they're very high profile, you know, immigrant founders, we tend to participate in those series A's as well. So your your definition of seed is a two million dollar check or a two million dollar yeah, a typical institutional seed round is is these days around two to three million, sometimes it's five million, sometimes it's a little less. And no, our check size was smaller. In fund one we typically had a five hundred thousand dollar check size. But we would still sometimes lead these two or three million dollar rounds. With a, with a smaller check, which is a little challenging, but we did that a number of times. Other times we joined other seed VCs. And in our next round, we're going to lead more often at that institutional seed stage. Um, smaller rounds that tend to these days be pre-seed rounds or friends and family kind of rounds. And what kinds of businesses do you like to invest in? What is your investment thesis? Our investment thesis is around immigrant founders, so we're agnostic as to the vertical. Uh, okay. We have four four investing partners right now, and each of us has our own areas of interest where we look more than others, and these change over time as well. So I've done a lot of uh, AI uh, for various uh, industries. I've done some stuff in outer space, actually, in Fund One personally. My partner looked at a lot of fintech. Uh, my other partner did some some enterprise tools. So there's there's a range of industries that we cover. And what about geography? So we mostly invest uh, in areas where we physically are located, which I'm in Boston, and we cover New York quite a bit. And then we have a venture partner in Montreal. And our other partner, like our full-time partner, is in the West Coast in the Bay Area. So we cover LA a little as well from there. Uh, so it's usually those uh, locations. Sometimes sometimes we participate when there are very, very strong lead VCs who we know really well in other places. Uh, but we're certainly not going to lead a company we don't already know that's not in our, our core geographies because we need to spend a lot of time with founders. And how close is your um, activity portfolio within the MIT community? 
Well, we have, we have quite a bit of stuff around MIT. I mean, I'm physically in Boston since I went to MIT 30 years ago. So um, we, we a lot of stuff is out of Harvard as well and other universities. So, yeah, I think that's one of our uh, areas of focus is like IP-heavy kind of, you know, startups with defensible tech. Like the, some of them come out of those academic places. But then, you know, we have we have other kinds of startups that uh, from other places. Like, uh, I mean, a lot of our deal flow comes from other other portfolio founders who we know. So, you know, because I've been investing for so long, right? There's just there's like over 200 companies have been involved with on some level, and they tend to know other founders. And then we also see a lot actually from our investor base. Our LPs tend to be also uh, more like more successful typically entrepreneurs who have sold their companies who are now investors in funds. So we see a lot of stuff uh, through their network as well. So it's not all around, you know, universities, certainly. Yeah, yeah. So um, let's do some case studies of what kinds of uh, projects you have invested in. Um, and actually, since we both have a soft corner for MIT, why don't we start with a company that you have invested in out of MIT, founders out of MIT, that um, that you feel particularly good about? Uh, you know, I don't know. There's, there's so many companies, right? Uh, out of MIT, there's, there's a number. Corvus Robotics is out of there, uh, although we met them after the like Combinator. Um, Kibotic is a very interesting, kind of very technical company that, that where we led the seed round uh, that came out of sort of that Harvard, so, well, more Harvard, so, but hang still. On, hang, on, hang on, Semyon, hang on. The way I'd like to do this, you pick one. I don't want a list of companies. I want one company that you take us through how you encountered them, what did you see, what were they doing, what did you see in them that made you want to write the check, and, you know, what, what, is, it, what is special about that company? And what I'm trying to do here is to give our audience a view into how you think about, you know, which companies you want to invest in. Besides the immigrant issue, there's also, I'm sure, there's a business analysis. There's, you know, other kinds of factors that you think about as you decide whether or not to invest in a company. So that's what I'm trying to do. Of course, of course. Yeah, I mean, we mostly look at the size of the opportunity, right? Uh, We look at the strength of the founders and the size of the opportunity and the defensibility of the tech. So uh, let me talk about Kibotics. That's, that's one interesting company. Uh, that's out of the Harvard, MIT, kind of Boston academic uh, world, uh, where we actually were the first investor, and, and we, in fact, we led a, a large seed round for them. And it was, in their case, the institutional seed came, you know, before revenues. It came very early in their journey, before product, really. Uh, but, and the reason, and it was a $5 million round that uh, three, three other VCs followed us into, and it was, you know, very full and, and all that. Since then, they've raised a larger Series A as well. But at the time, this was two years ago, um, they uh, were five, they, they had very, very unusually strong, like, a team of co-founders. Uh, so, uh, Professor Alana Spurogusik was kind of the original chairman, and so he's, I don't know, one of the top authorities, like, in the world of um, AI for material science creation, right? Like with hundreds of papers, probably he had a big lab at Harvard. And interestingly enough, so he was kind of an immigrant from Mexico, but um, he he was a little bit political, like he wasn't happy with, with Donald Trump getting elected, and he ended up leaving the United States and moving to Toronto. So like like Justin Trudeau personally recruited him to take his whole lab to Toronto. He set up a big thing there. It was like a real loss for, for Harvard and for America, I think, and not the only one. Uh, but anyway, so he was he was like the, the, the academic kind of co-founder, and then there were four other 
uh, you know, postdocs, like, that were extremely, like, brilliant scientists in this space, every single one of them. So usually, you know, you get, in a startup, you get, like, one or two people like that, but this, this one just had a lot of academic depth. Um, and they were, Im- they were all immigrants from different places, uh, uh, Germany and uh, Russia, Ukraine. And then uh, the CEO, who joined them just slightly later, uh, she was also, all of them were like chemistry PhDs in addition to deep machine learning people. But she was also a Harvard chemistry PhD, uh, who had previously built like a bootstrap the company to, you know, some pretty significant interesting revenues. But in this case, joined as like the business leader as the CEO. Um, and, uh, anyway, so that's, in that case, you know, why did we do it? It's because of the defensibility of the depth of, of like technical uh, differentiation in terms of their work relative to what other folks are doing. And because of just the scope, the scale of the opportunity, it seemed like, you know, if they, if they can uh, kind of displace the big industrial chemical companies in the, in the world of inventing and creating new materials, then uh, they would probably be larger than them, right? Because then those companies would just manufacture them and these guys would invent them. And that, that just seemed like, you know, potentially a hundred billion plus kind of opportunity that justified a little bit more risk of us, you know, investing in, in this kind of round before the product was even complete. Mm-hmm. So uh, you are okay. If, it's, if the team is strong, you're okay with investing pre-product. Well, it takes more than a strong team, right? It takes, like, in this case, the team, in my view, was clearly the best in the world. Like, there was no way that another team with more money could could just be stronger than this one. So it's not just a question of strong. It's a, it's a question of being, like, literally number one. Uh, it's very unusual, right? Uh, generally speaking, I would say in most of our investments, there's product, there are revenues, typically already there are customers. Okay. So let's take one of those examples in the, the more typical case of where you already have product, already have some revenue. What's, uh, what's a good example of something that's, uh, that you want to discuss, and, and what did you see in that when they came to you? Um, I mean, uh, sure, we can look at a company uh, – uh, I don't even know. Like, well, one uh, we have so many, right? One well-known one in our portfolio that that some of your viewers might be familiar with is called Brex. Um, and uh, it, I mean, it was another fantastically strong, very young team in that case. Uh, Brazilian founders who, who built several companies when they were still teenagers in Brazil. Um, I mean, literally like three by the time they were 18, believe it or not. Like I think the first one they, they built when they were 15 and they sold it, they got a million dollars and then they started another one. They lost all the money. They had to move back in with their parents. They started a third one that actually grew large and then left and went to Stanford, left like three, four months at Stanford and went off and started another one, which went to Y Combinator, pivoted and then became Brex. And in this case, yeah, I mean, the guys were so brilliant as entrepreneurs. Um, we probably would have come in pre-product, but, but by the time we had our fundraise, like they had already launched and they had extremely fast growing revenues and we were fortunate to get in a little bit later and we usually do, but then, uh, you know, their growth just continued and I think less than a year later, they were, they were worth two and a half billion dollars at the, at the most recent round led by Kleiner Perkins. So, you know, that's, that's a story of like extremely rapid growth. And in this case, uh, actually they had, they had the ability to raise a lot of capital as well, right? They had a lot of credibility um, and momentum. And you are um, looking for unicorn investments? 
Yeah, every investment we make, we, we want to see a path, a realistic path to multi-billion dollar outcomes. We, we will never invest in order to make like five or ten times our money. We just don't do that. I mean, it's, it's worthwhile. It's just not something we do. Okay. Okay. Um, what do you see in your deal flow at this point? If you look at, you know, in 2020 especially, the deals that are coming to you for investments, what trends are you seeing in there? I mean, we've been fortunate, you know, I would say, especially in the, in the last few months with COVID, I think we've been uh, able to come into some of these, like, Series A, some of these larger rounds where, uh, where um, I think, on one hand, the, the immigrant founders uh, who can get money from anybody, um, they, they tend to value our story a little more right now. Like, the, the fact that we have a fund that only backs immigrants, you know, it's something they, they find appealing, and sometimes we are invited to participate more, more, I think, to benefit the fund than to benefit the company. Of course, we always try to help the company as much as we can, right? But, but sometimes the founders are just so strong that really they're letting us in to do us a favor. Um, and I think there have been a little bit more of those for us recently just because um, I think everyone, everyone is moving slightly slower, right? Uh, and even, uh, even when people are about to raise a much larger round, they're still, they're more likely to take a little bit more rent from people they like uh, on the previous round's terms, let's say, just just in case, you know, just because things might take slower or the world is less predictable. Um, and also, you know, I think we, we've seen a lot of tailwinds, uh, just frankly, uh, overall in our portfolio companies, we've seen uh, a couple of companies struggle with COVID-related things and quickly kind of change, pivot, change their business and begin to benefit from them. But the majority of our companies just immediately got tailwinds for various reasons, like the, their business just benefited from the fact that people are online more and um, people are, you know, tech tech is just progressing faster than than it was before. Have you seen new companies, new projects that are specifically reacting to the discontinuities introduced by COVID, and what are those trends? Yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of people, you know, direct the pivot to COVID-related things. I mean. Um, and we did invest, actually, we led around, and this was early, it's kind of like a pre-seed round. Um, company out of uh, Techstars, actually, in Boston, uh, the program I used to run, but they went through it later. Uh, a company called Bria, which uh, they, they kind of shifted a little bit. They were doing uh, blood tests for uh, people in, in gyms and firefighters, like for health tracking, blood work. And they were doing, like, the interface, the online interface, connecting the labs to the consumers. And uh, with COVID, they went straight to COVID testing, and we ended up uh, doing this, uh, I think it was a $2 million round altogether that, that we led um, in early March or mid-March, it was closed. Um, so right as COVID was getting serious. And that, that company, you know, their numbers just like, of course, astronomically took off, as you might imagine, the COVID testing is such a, such a growing, fast uh, space. Um, and they're, they're doing quite well. They're making like they're actually making millions in profit, which is very unusual for a venture back company within a year. Um, but like they're, they're generating cash. They don't. They're not going to do the next round. They don't need to do another round, uh, or they might eventually, but not anytime soon. Um, but I would say since that, that COVID testing, um, that's that's their original technology, or is it COVID testing pure process that the technology is from somebody else? No, these guys aggregate a bunch of labs. They work with many labs, and they provide the, the user interface layer uh, and the reporting layer 
and they work with organizations, enterprises that have to test large numbers of people and they coordinate all that online. So these guys don't run their own lab. There's also a lot of startups with, with unique labs and so forth, but those, those have a longer time scale. Um, and yeah, what I was going to say is that like since then, you know, by, by like June, I was seeing people forward all kinds of plans for all kinds of like, we are pivoting to COVID this or COVID that, or, you know, we are, we used to do some kind of face recognition and now we're doing temperature checks for people to, when they come to the workforce. So, you know, at this point, there's so many, it's like, that's almost an automatic delete, right? It's like, once you get a boom of some new fad, you know, when everyone starts sending in the same thing, of course, it's just, you just ignore it as an investor, right? You want people to do it before everyone else. We did a case study uh, in our Entrepreneur Journey series uh, recently, actually, not very long ago. In three months, they did $8 million. They started the company post-COVID. It's a mask and, and PPP, uh, PPE company. Mm-hmm. In three months, $8 million. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. I mean, some of the stuff happening very quickly. It's another yeah. story as to whether it'll be sustainable after the epidemic ends, right? But, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, good entrepreneurs, as you, you were talking about the Brazilian team, you know, good entrepreneurs can also figure out how to be sustainable. If they got, if they have a good core business going right now, they can also figure out what they're going to do after COVID. That, that, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, now, are there labs or particular departments at MIT that you have that have closer relationships with than others? Like you've talked about AI, do you work with the AI lab? I mean, I, I was in there myself as a grad student years ago, but no, we don't, we don't typically work with, with anyone in the university like that. Uh, we might go to some of the demo days of the various, you know, startup uh, organizations, right? Like, like the 100K competition or whatnot, or, you know, the trust center, there's a bunch of these, um, or the Despondent Center. But um, no, you know, we, we, at the end of the day, like we're not, we're not the engine, right? We're not a fund that's equipped to, to take like a 15 or 20 year stance on some core tech like fusion, you know, that, that's like very far from commercialization. We are more the domain of venture capital. capital. What's that? That's not the domain of venture capital. I don't think 20 year research and development is, is the domain of venture capital. Well, exactly, but like, there, there are some funds that go longer, like the engine. The, the engine is affiliated with MIT, and you know they have I don't know about twenty, but they have a longer time scale than most venture funds, and they do very deep, you know, uh, pure research kind of kind of things. So we we don't do very much of that uh, because I mean, you know, we don't have uh, sufficiently large funds to be able to support companies on our own that long. All right. Okay, well, very good. Good to meet you and uh, good to get a view into what you're doing. And the Immigrant Founders, of course, we are, our community is full of them. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll connect the dots as they come up. Thank you for participating today. I'm sorry we had the difficulty at the beginning with the technology, but. Great. Thanks for thanks having me. Thank Bye-bye. You.